He was a morbidly obese surgeon destined for an operating table and an early death. Now he's a rebel MD who is fabulously fit and fighting to make America healthy again. This is Stay Off My Operating Table with Dr. Philip Ovedia. Hi, this is co-host Jack Heald with a special message about today's episode. I've produced probably 200 podcasts and interviewed people all around the world using the same technology I used for today's episode. Sometimes we have technical challenges. Sometimes maybe a couple of words get dropped. It's annoying, but manageable. This particular interview was different. We had extraordinary problems with the signal, so bad that only half the interview was usable. Was it an accident or a coincidence? Just one of those things? Or did it have some relation to the information our guest presented? I can't say for sure. However, given the events of the last two years, it would not surprise me if bad actors are actively at work to prevent this kind of information from being shared with you. I could be wrong. And I hope I am, but we all know I could be right as well. Here's the first interview with Texas Slim. We'll have him back soon to continue and complete the interview. Well, here we are again. It's the uh, Staff Mom Operating Table podcast. I'm already talking like I'm in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jack Heald, the uh, uh, comic relief for this show, and this is Dr. Philip Ovedia. It's his show. Phil, it's good to see you. <laughs> How you doing? I am doing well, Jack. Good to see you again, and I am really excited for our guest today. Uh, we're going to be uh, maybe changing things up a little bit, although I think the audience will certainly appreciate how uh, what our guest uh, brings to the table uh, is going to help them to uh, stay off of my operating table. And so uh, our guest today is uh, Texas Slim. And uh, Tex and I kind of stumbled across each other as it is in cyberspace uh, a while back, but uh, really have connected. Um, And uh, because what Tex talks about really uh, plays into my messaging about eating whole real food. And Tex uh, Slim has uh, started a initiative to help people to better source their whole real food. And uh, I'm going to let him tell the audience a little bit about himself and his background and how he got to where he is. And then we're going to have a really good discussion on the quality of the food you're eating and sourcing the food that you are eating. I'm looking forward to this one. I really am. So Slim, tell, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, your background and, and how you got to where you are today. You bet. Good to have you. Uh, <clears throat> good to have, have me on guys. Good to see you, Jack. Good, good to, to have see you, you Philip. Um, a little bit about me. Yeah. Um, a little bit about me. I'm from Texas, a uh, seventh generational Texan. I come from small town, Texas, uh, up in the Texas panhandle. I was raised around agricultural and ranching and it's, you know, that part of Texas is the Yano Estacado. It was part of the, uh, it's the, the end of the great plains. There has a lot of history up here. A lot of people that, you know, don't understand uh, a lot of farming families, a lot of ranching families in the, on the panhandle. 
on the Estacado. Um, so what I learned growing up, my grandfather had moved to the, my side of that, that side of the family had moved to this part of Texas in the late 1880s, somewhere around in there. I don't know the exact year, but they basically were pioneers. They came here after the Comanche Wars of 1878. Texas was being formed in a new way. Uh, there was a, a movement to feed the nation because uh, there was a lot of cows in the state of Texas. So this part of Texas was a very mm, instrumental in that movement. And, you know, there was massive cattle drives. There was massive, uh, you know, movement of our beef industry from Texas all the way across the nation. Texas began to feed the nation. So there's something about living where I grew up that we have a very close relationship to the soil, to the cow, and to our history and our traditions and everything. By saying that, uh, that was how I was raised. I was raised a very blue collar, um, a little cowboy, a little farmer, a little bit of everything that is small town Texas. Whenever I was young, I'm kind of migrated up to Austin because I wanted to get out of small town Texas and I wanted to go explore. And I got into uh, certain industries, um, got into technology, got into research analysis and went around the world a couple of times, traveled, learned how to do some pretty cool school skill sets. And this last couple of years, I started really diving into um, food. I wanted to look at it again. I knew there was problems, but I didn't know exactly where to start. So I've basically done this all my life. I kind of embedded myself into an industry and it, it was the harvest industry. And I went out and I went on harvest this year or 2021, I believe. I went out there and I, I started connecting dots with our food industry and how it is grown, where it comes from, what kind of contracts are signed, what kind of pesticides are used, what kind of herbicides are used, how much we've uh, genetically modified our seed. I went down basically to the source of the seed of everything and I started writing about it and it was called the harvest of deception. And I basically just started telling the truth of where we came from. Uh, started with my history of my family, my ancestors, uh, what we did. We survived the, the Dust Bowl. We decided, you know, we uh, survived the World War II. Um, we, we survived the going off the gold dollar in the 70s. But each one of these things, as far as decades that passed, there was something new that happened in, in agriculture. And whenever we look at it now, it's a pretty good correlation with uh, what has changed in agriculture, what has changed in the industry, how we went to a chemical based and a genetically modified based um, food system with the, the health of our nation. And we've been able to start putting this together, do some an analysis and some research. And a lot of people are starting to talk about it. They're starting to understand that, you know, pure animal protein is how we got here. And we see how they're trying to basically eliminate that out of our diets and basically the metabolical failure that we've run up to with the fake commodity systems, especially starting early 70s. So that's kind of the long and the short. I uh, love hearing that story each time you tell it, uh, you know, a different uh, part of it sort of jumps out at me. And I think a good place for us to start, you know, our discussion here is you mentioned how your ancestors, your grandparents, your great grandparents um, were able to help uh, this country at a time when nutrition was at a scarcity and people couldn't get enough food to eat. And today we find ourselves with the exact opposite problem, that there is an abundance of food, but it is low quality food. And our health is really 
being threatened by that. And it seems that the answer to our problems, once again, is returning to, you know, high quality protein sources raised in responsible ways. And, um, you know, I think uh, the initiatives that you're, uh, you know, now starting around that uh, are, are going to be really important to contributing to solving this problem. Uh, but I, I'd love to kind of hear your perspective on that, that, um, you know, the answer in the beginning was get people more high quality protein sources. And the answer now mm-hmm. is get more, right. more people, more high quality protein sources. I have a question. Yeah, it, it's, it's um, where do you start? Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Jack. Well, I just listened to Joe Rogan's interview with the folks who wrote Sacred Cow. And it was eye-opening. Mm-hmm. And um, and you said something in your introduction of yourself that it was you raised a question I had listening to. Um, I don't remember their names. Di- the authors Diana Rogers Cal. and Rob Wolf. It was Diana Rogers. Diana, Diana yeah. and Rob. Um, and you raised it again. And and so the question is is this. You said, and I'm not quoting you exactly, but you said there's a drive to get us off meat. Um, my questions are, who is doing this? What are their motivations? And what evidence do you have that that is the case? And maybe that's a, a longer um, conversation. But well, that's those pretty are the broad. That yeah, that, that's mind. a... Well, well, and that's what everybody's confused about. And, you know, that you can't answer those questions directly because, you know, I have to ask you, what is your understanding of what food is? What is animal protein? You know, that's where we have to start these conversations is what's the perspective here and the perception, you know, of, of what we get out of that. Basically, when you say they, well, it's the people that control our food industry. It's the global corporations, you know, that actually do process our food they do basically um they they're the ones that supply the the seeds they're the ones that control the seeds and there's a process from wherever that seed is planted into the ground all the way until it gets to the grain elevators then off and you know processed it goes to processing centers so processing is a big part of it most of our processing centers in the united states are globally owned they're they're really not especially with animal protein let's just look at that the uh, animal protein processors in this country jbs national tyson and cargill um most of the three of those are uh, global brazilian companies they're not united states companies and they have the power over processing our food i believe diana rogers brought up and said okay um what what is it about processed food? Well, the more you process food, the more lucrative it becomes, the more regulations you build into it. So you have these global food corporations that, you know, in the beginning started feeding our nation and they were they were very good at it. But whenever in 1971, you had Eric Butts of the Nixon administration said, we're going to go big, you're going to go big or you're going to go home. What did he mean by that? Well, he meant that you're going to have to farm fence to fence with a mono crop. You couldn't grow four to five different crops now. And that grain and that produce was going somewhere else. It wasn't going to feed your communities anymore. Well, who was they? Well, it's the global food corporations that have been formed ever since basically 
you know, especially after 1970, there's been a consolidation of global food groups in the 90s, in the year 2006 around, 2013, and finally in 2017, there's been very big conglomerates that were formed on an international level. Whenever you say that, it's say, okay, we've got these major food corporations and they do exist. Okay. What is their agenda? Well, their agenda is to make profits and they have a lot of freaking power to make those profits well, through I'm, subsidies, I'm losing through your signal. Uh, growing you said monocrops. I'm, I'm losing your signal a little bit, Slim. Uh, you said their agenda is, and then it, it, it okay. broke up. Can you back back up and say that again? Well, their, yeah, their, their agenda is to make their agenda is to make profit. Their agenda is to is profit driven on on basic, you know, but that that profit driven is not directed. Where is it directed? Well, it's directed to the global corporations. It's not directed to the the communities that it serves. And whenever you're thinking about food, you need to remember the number one thing about food should be the delivery of pure nutrition. It shouldn't be a global plan to basically have profit driven apparatuses that have built into our industrial food supply. And this, this gets exposed in many ways because then you, you look at that you say, okay, the food supply, let's say agriculture, uh, you, you look at the medical, you look at the pharmaceutical, you look at the agricultural complex, its impact. All of these companies are basically intertwined with each other and they're under one big umbrella and you, let's look at, okay, chemical companies. Why do you bring up a chemical company? Well, that seed that I told you about is genetically fought, modified by that chemical company, one of those chemical companies. And then it is basically given to the farmer to plant into the soil, which the soil has been killed because what they make them do is use pesticides and herbicides to grow that genetically modified seed. So you have a chemical company growing your food. And if you do not sign the agreement with a chemical company, then you cannot grow your food. Well, every time you have a pesticide, profit. Every time you have an herbicide, profit. Every time you have a new seed, every 13 months, profit. How many profit points do you need in our food supply? How many touch points are there in our industrial food supply to overprocess? The more you overprocess any type of food, the less nutrition you have because it's broken down. That's 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 a no-brainer. That's why we say whole foods. So most of our industrial food complex serves basically a food supply that the time it gets to us has already made its profit and we become the trash can of the of the very bad uh, lack of nutrition food that a lot of people call it sludge, whatever it is, depends on what your diet is. But there's a lot of fake commodities that are in that food that we're, we're doing. I did a research on rapeseed and rapeseed was outlawed in 1956 by the FDA. Well, now it is basically everybody eats canola oil every day of their life. It's a fake commodity. It was not built for human consumption, but the chemical companies made it to where we can consume canola. Most fast food restaurants fry in canola. The dangers of oil, it was rapeseed was actually, it was for a, um, it was engineered to be an industrial lubricant. That's rapeseed. That's canola. We've been consuming canola ever since the seventies, you know, and that comes from a company called Crisco. Well, Crisco was formed by Procter. Procter and Gamble in the late 1800s. What is Procter and Gan Gamble back then? They made candles and they made soap and they used cottonseed oil. Electricity came along. 
we didn't have as many people using candles. Procter and Gamble said, hmm, we got to use all this cotton seed. What are we going to do? Well, you have Crisco frying oil. And that started basically at the turn of the century of 1900. So you look at the pattern that has happened ever since then. We learned how to basically create a consumable oil, whatever you want, a product that they could make into a profit-driven fake commodity. And so we're consuming these fake commodities instead of just consuming whole, good nutrition. Why do you call it a fake commodity? Well, why do you need, why do you need something that is not, wasn't ever built to be consumed? It has no use for consumption, but it is in our agricultural system. It is in our medical system. It is in our <laughs> pharmaceutical system. Well, the only thing that's, that's true is that, that is that it's being leveraged to make profit. It's not being leveraged to give you nutrition. It, it's a fake commodity. It, it shouldn't exist. It has no reason to exist. You can get scientists to say, yeah, that's why we have it. But we used tallow before we used Crisco. We, used, we had other options. And basically, you know, in the agricultural world, I mean, how, how we've evolved within our agricultural department, you know, we've lost kind of sight of how we used to do things. And that's why I tell everybody, you know, go back to your grandchildren or your grandparents and see how they did things. Yeah. And then, you know, what the, uh, you know, the, the magic really happened, you know, because first these were uh, sold as convenience products and, uh, you know, it was uh, that Crisco mm -hmm. was going to be, you know, kind of more stable, it, you know, you could store it longer. And, uh, and then they basically were able to create a narrative around it, that it was somehow improving our health. Uh, and yet the, you know, the, the evidence is in the complete opposite direction. Um, we now see that since these, you know, foods, uh, since these products have been introduced into our food supply, our health has only deteriorated. And I am yet to see a scientific study that shows that eating more processed foods makes you healthier. Uh, or it makes you live longer or avoids any sort of, uh, you know, negative health outcomes. Um, but uh, we now find ourselves in a situation where we have this abundance of what's called food, and we really are still lacking in nutrients because, as Slim alluded to, and, you know, as Diana Rogers and many others have gone into, the more you process food, the less true nutrients, true nutrition uh, that remains in that food. Okay. So a, a, a summary of the problem statement is, and, and I want you to, to correct me here, Slim, if I've got it wrong. A summary of the problem statement is our entire uh, supply chain of food has been subverted away from the end goal of delivering the most nutritious food at the best price to as many people as possible to a, a completely different end goal, which is delivering the highest profit to the fewest number of corporate entities as possible. Have I stated the problem well? Pretty much. I mean, it's a, it's a huge problem, but you, yeah, you're definitely on the right, right path there. I mean, it is a good, big conglomeration okay. and it starts with the seed and it follows the seed all the way to your table. 
I'd like to, to follow two different lines of thought. Uh, thought number one would be, if I've stated the problem correctly, I'd like to hear proposed solution. But before we actually get to the proposed solution, I'm fascinated to just hear about the chain itself from the seed to your table. Talk, you know, I I realize there's a whole lot there, but, but just kind of take us through the process of how it used to be before the corruption and what we now have just kind of compare and contrast. Sure. You bet. I've been working on something with a couple of ranchers and, you know, I, I really have a, some really good conversations with them. Um, regenerative grass fed and, you know, anybody that's kind of going back to the soil, but what we're wanting to explain everything that we're doing with the beef initiative is we're doing a vertical integration into our food. We're doing a vertical integration. We're starting with the soil. Okay. We're starting with the seed, then to the soil, then to the grass, basically. Okay. From the grass to the cow, Cow to producer, producer to processor, processor to supplier, supplier to market access, market access to human health. Therefore, we're creating a new health initiative. So if you look at every one of those touch points that I said, you know, that's how we have to follow the understanding of where our food truly comes from. Right. And if we can kind of identify the source of the seed of every one of those integration points, then you can kind of say, okay, let's look at this a little bit closer. Let's look at the soil. Okay. Well, well, we already know the seed has been genetically modified and it's not the real seed and it's done for many different reasons. They can have all, all the um, explanations and everything. It's a genetically modified seed. That's for sure. Okay. Let's look at the soil. Our soil is dead. We've monocropped it and we've burnt it and we don't have soil anymore. We have topsoil. And uh, a good example, during the Dust Bowl, they here in the Panhandle, it was, you know, this was a big uh, kind of a focal point for it because it was almost at ground zero. Ground zero, they say, of the Dust Bowl was Boise, Oklahoma, Boise City, Oklahoma. And so you look at that and we had Native Americans here. We had people that understood soil back then. And they did ask, asked one of the, the um, I believe it was one of the chiefs at that time. They said, what is wrong with the soil? And they, they said, upside down. Well, what did he mean by that? Well, the Great Plains is grasslands and the grass would be a certain length, but the root systems could be five to six feet down into the ground. And so you, what he meant by upside down, what we had done is we had basically taken the root system out of everything. We had destroyed the soil and then you had, you know, crops that went very high, but they had no root systems. And that was something that we turned over and turned over and turned over and we turned the soil over, turned the soil over. Then, you know, we brought the pesticides and herbicides and then we started torching the soil. And so that's where we are now. So there you go. You have the soil. Okay, where does that go now? Well, let's let's get back to the the seed. We have to get back to the seed of the grass. That is what basically um, our agriculture is as far as animal protein is about. You know, it starts with the seed of the grass. the The cow is the land tool of that grass. By eating it and grazing on that grass, he is basically make uh, he's letting that root system survive to get deeper into the soil, the soil to flourish, 
the the grass to grow again, the cow to be fed. And then once we go to the cow, here we go. We got the producer. Okay, well, the producer is a farmer, the rancher, whoever it is. He has to steward that animal. Once he stewards that animal to a certain place, then he needs to find a processor so he can process that cow. Well, at this time, those processors are basically have got the meat industry, you know, handcuffed because a farmer and rancher can't never, he really doesn't even know when he's going to be processing. The date of the processing that he's allowed to do with his cattle becomes the means to the end, and it shouldn't be that way. It should be the health of the cow, the 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 goodness of the meat, but that's that's already gone out the door. So the processing, you know, how we have it on a global standard is, is not working for us. We have meat price manipulation you know they just released the federal government sued uh, i believe it was jbs for 56 million which is nothing none of the people that were affected by that will never get the money so the processing guys they they go off and they say hey we made you know 500 million off of this and by getting sued we only had to pay 58 million they're going to do that every time and they you know this happens in the in the meat industry all the time Right. I mean, it, it just never stops. And they do, uh, you know, a headline and they say, oh, those guys, they're going to like I heard last night. Um, I guess they said something about processing on the State of the Union. I don't even listen to that stuff anymore. You know, it's a broken system. And so once you get into the processing, we got to look at processing of your food. Who's processing your food? Do you want it to be somebody that's local? Do you want to be at somebody that's a microprocessor that is regional that actually feeds your local community? So you get the processor and you go, okay, who's the supplier? Well, that's controlled too by these big food corporations. You don't get market access very easy. And very few people talk about market access of our food. It is controlled by the chemical company on down the line in certain ways that, you know, there's partnerships, there's contracts. So your food supply is really automated in a way on that corporate structure where you have no access to saying, I don't want that processor. I don't want that type of market access. I want to, I want something different, but they control with regulations. They would control with level, uh, labels they control you know with basically certifications usda you know stamp of approval there's so many things that are in our food they're basically not leading us to truth of nutrition it's leading us to high regulation low value within our nutrition and low value within our health and so if we do that vertical integration and looking at our food supply we're going to be able to answer some questions and we're going to uncover some things and we're going to say hey let's sit at the table and you tell us why this is better than what we're proposing and by doing that people have to join the conversation and they do get very intentional about understanding what food intelligence really is yeah i have you know certainly seen that it's a natural extension, you know, as people start to get more healthy, I know as, you know, I started to take a greater interest in my health, it just becomes natural to start questioning the quality of the food that you were eating. And um, it invariably leads down uh, the sort of uh, rabbit hole of, you know, finding out all of these things that you've been talking about. And, you know, ultimately that's how, you know, I think we crossed paths and how we came together and why, you know, our uh, missions have become aligned and and we are now working on, you know, ways that we can, um, you know, work together to uh, amplify this message, this mission and amplify this message. And, um, you know, I think one of the things you talk about is basically getting closer to the source of your food. You know, we 
have become so disconnected from our food. It just shows up in the grocery store or in the restaurant from wherever, and people don't know where it comes from and what the process it went through to get there is. And the more that we can, you know, get closer to that process, go to your farmer's market and talk to the farmers that are raising, you know, the, uh, the food that you're eating and growing the food that you're eating, um, that really has a profound impact on health, it turns out. And so, uh, you know, that's that's why I think uh, this is such an important message to get out there. Well, that's as far as we were able to go. At this point in the interview, Texas Slim's audio signal was completely distorted. Offline, we confirmed with him that he has a very solid, very reliable Internet connection. Dr. Obadia was also connected via the Internet for this interview, and his signal was perfect. Make of that what you will. For Dr. Philip Ovedia, I'm Jack Heald. This is the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast. We'll talk to you next time. Chances are you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't need to change your life and get healthier. So take action right now. Book a call with Dr. Ovedia's team. One small step in the right direction is all it takes to get started. Contact us at ifixhearts.com slash talk. That's ifixhearts.com dot com slash talk.